Hey there, this is Fred Pissarro, and you're listening to Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast, where we explore all things new, some things classic, but all things heavy, with my co-host, Michael Berdan. Today we are joined by musician, visual artist, and living legend, Dwid Hellion. For many of our listeners, Dwid doesn't require much of an introduction. As the man behind Metallic Hardcore Pioneer's integrity and Harsh Noise mainstay Psy Warfare, Dwid has been instrumental in shaping the sound and much of the aesthetic within a large corner of extreme music today. He's a figure often shrouded in myth and mystery, so it might come as a surprise to some how genuinely personable and downright joyful he really is. We were fortunate enough to have a series of long talks with Dwid spanning many topics. Today we talk about everything from his roots, his admiration for contemporary music, and the perils of skateboarding in your 50s. So sit back, relax, and enjoy one of our conversation with Dwight Hellion. Well, I had a cast on for a couple weeks, and then today they chopped it off and put this thing on, and it's like a, a, a limiting brace with robotic shit in it, so it's pretty cool. Wow. Wow. I mean, you, so you did that skateboarding? How long? Like, like. I don't know. Were you out with your kids or were like, were you out doing it by yourself or what's the deal? Well, like when quarantine happened, uh, my son, I have a, my youngest son is 10 years old. Yeah. So he yeah. was, uh, just diving head first into only playing Fortnite and looking at TV and shit. Yeah. So I said, Hey man, let's build some skateboard ramps or something so you can get the fuck out of the house. Cause all these kids nowadays, I don't know if you guys have any kids, but all they want to do is fucking look at screens and shit. Yeah. And they're not making yeah, no yeah. money off of it. So there's no fucking point. So I built him some ramps and then all the kids in the neighborhood were like, holy shit, there's ramps and we could get skateboards. So then they got skateboards and they become like a fucking park almost, you know, <laughs> so we built like four or five ramps out in front of my house and the cops got mad and I had to like, <laughs> wow. had to like get neighbors to sign papers that say that we appreciate it. So then the cops were like, okay, it's cool now. And yeah, I'm like a fake boy scout leader. Who would have thought? <laughs> God, God fucking bless you, man. But anyway, so I would skate yeah. with the kids and show them shit and like teach them how to drop in and stuff and how to do little tricks. Uh-huh. And uh, I was skating with them and I was like not really paying attention. And I rode over like a kind of like a sewer grate, you know, like a rain drain thing. Uh-huh. And I got my wheel stuck in there and I fell uh-huh. and it just fell in a stupid way. I mean, I never broke a an arm before or a leg or anything, but uh, this was just a freak or because oh, I'm dude. old as fuck too. It's, it's probably fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so how, so, so how long are you going to be bionic for? Well, um, they, they don't know exactly, but basically it just keeps me from, from moving the wrong way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause if I do like uh, some of my tendons were, had to be re- rebuilt mm-hmm. so I could fucking tear them out grabbing you know turning uh turning on a faucet or whatever you know yeah waving wow. yeah, like yeah. the queen stuff like that <laughs> like that'll that'll bust my fucking tendons out he said so i have to keep it like just like yeah. domo arigato mr roboto <laughs> amazing man what is there to life without that shit man <laughs> now now as a fucking uh from from two people living in the states and paying too much for everything to an American expatriate, how cool is it 
to get fucking treatment in fucking Belgium for <laughs> that and to owe zero dollars. <laughs> I, I had to pay uh, 30 bucks. Fuck! Because <laughs> of the arm. Because I mean, because of the uh, the brace, the arm yeah. brace. Because that's, uh, I had to pay a percentage of what that costs. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, you know, I have to be uh, full disclosure. A lot of American people have a misconception of how it works here with medical uh, health care. Yeah. We pay taxes. It's not like Bernie Sanders is like, it's free. It just comes out of the sky. Santa Claus just gives it to these Europeans. <laughs> it's not like that. We pay fucking taxes and then we get it, you know, but, but right. they, but we also don't allow lobbying is illegal. So when a politician gets money that he, you know, washes through a company and then they do something else and give it back to the guy who donated it to his campaign. Like, you know, that's embezzlement. Mm -hmm. And we see it that way. America sees it as capitalism or something. So that's why you guys don't have health care, probably because they're stealing all the fucking money for those dudes. You exactly. Know? <laughs> oh, definitely. 100%. But yeah. yeah, but it's but to answer your question. Yeah, it's it's much more comfortable to not have to pay a big fucking <laughs> chunk of money for the for that. And, you know, they all got to laugh at me for fucking being too old to skateboard. God, I fucking everything about that's great. <laughs> Are there no um, one thing I was curious about is like. And I've noticed here in L.A. is there are a lot of skate parks and I grew up in the Northeast. And there wasn't that many skate parks. Like everybody had to make their own half pipe, make their own ramps and stuff like that. I guess they don't have that in Belgium either. We do actually. We have a, a skate park that's uh, the second biggest in Europe. Uh -huh. It just got built a couple years ago, uh -huh. or last last year. But uh, the problem is, it's really popular. Yeah, and the kids in my neighborhood are young kids, like around uh, eight uh, to twelve. Oh. So for them to get all the way to the skate you gotta park, learn. Yeah. they yeah. got to like get on a tram, then a bus and all this shit. Yeah. And also they got to learn. But to get yeah. there on their own, uh, it's not easy. So yeah. I built something so the kids in the neighborhood could just like leave their house, go do something, then come home for lunch and shit like that. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was fun to learn how to do. I, I built ramps when I was a kid, but they sucked. And now I built ones and they were pretty good. Yeah. I, was, I surprised myself. <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> wow you know do let's talk about like early 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 days you know okay i know i know you're a big i know you're a fan of like i know people probably wouldn't guess this but i, I you were a fan of like youth crew stuff don't you have a the judge hammers tattooed on you i did but i covered it up oh, years okay. ago okay fair enough but um yeah, but you were, you were a big fan of, like, youth crew stuff um, coming up? Yeah. I don't know. What was the first kind of bands that you came in contact with while you were in Kentucky, actually? Oh, yeah. Well, Kentucky was different. It was a very different type of environment. Um, in Louisville, like, there was a band called Maurice. And later on, they, they split up, and they became Slint and King Horse. Oh, some wow. of the members went on to slant some of them went on to king horse mm -hmm. and uh that was like the local band that was uh that, that got a lot of attention mm -hmm. when i was a kid and wow. uh they went on tour with sam hayne and uh you know they had a whole cool cool vibe going like that mm -hmm. and that was the band that i was telling you about that would play at uh charlie's pizzeria 
Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Was Paho in that? Uh, I don't know if he was in that. Or, yeah, I just... I was just thinking because he does that fucking uh he did that Misfits cover covers record and so it was, he uh, might have been I don't I remember like, which guys were in it I don't even know if they actually recorded Maurice oh word mm-hmm. I know that uh, the singer Rat was a singer of uh, King Horse mm. and I don't know which guys from from Slint were in it it might be online somewhere but back then it wasn't something people would even know you know I was thirteen. So totally. I don't even know if they had any, they might've had a demo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to be one of those, uh, one of those things where, uh, like we were talking about yesterday, it's cool to have the internet. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have it now. I guess I can type it up. And see <laughs> oh, I, I, actually, I just found it. Um, yeah. Paho, wasn't it? Okay. Same. Yeah. Sean Garrison, Brett Wilford, Paho. Yeah, Sean, we called Sean rat back then. Yeah. That, that's a great punk name. Yeah. yeah, that was like that's like one of the the classics, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like it was, yeah, it was uh, the drummer from Slint, Paho, um, and McMahon. So three out of four of them, I believe. Yeah, I mean, three out of four of the guys. Yeah, yeah. and and they were wow. they, they were a punk band. Yeah. Yeah, they toured with Sam Hain uh, in '84. Uh, Sick! Wow, that's crazy. Was did you? Um, and, and so you saw? Was that the first like dancing thing that you saw? With yeah, Sam Hain? it yeah. was. It was in my backyard, uh, sort of. Like I Whoa. lived in. A, I lived in a suburb, and uh, <clears throat> in the suburb there was a church on the street behind me, and the mm-hmm. church had a. Uh, a rec hall where you could have like wedding parties and things. Mm-hmm. And somehow these guys were able to connive that church into letting them have a show there. And uh, that's where Sam Hain played with Maurice and gotcha. some other groups. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that I can't even imagine how formative that must've been. And Sam Hain didn't do that. Do they do that much touring? I think they were very, short-lived with that if i remember right i think that the band only existed for a few years because then in 88 he got a danzig rick Rick rubin signed him as as danzig yeah 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 i i i i think on top of that i don't think they even did that many dates which is crazy to think about yeah yeah but um wow um so that's really interesting um what what do you think was like the first kind of like touring punk thing that you saw was it that tour or was it something else yeah for punk yeah that would be it wow that's that's unbelievable um yeah so i guess also of interest uh i went to school with some guys from that band endpoint i went to middle school with them if you know who they are yes yeah yeah yeah. those guys those guys are uh very very nice dudes. Uh, yeah, super nice. Uh, that that uh, that that guy. I mean, I, I I love by the grace of God as well. And uh, well, they didn't have the band when I was in school with them. They were just children like me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough. I didn't yeah. have a band yeah. or nothing either. I was just a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you moved from from Kentucky to like Indiana, right? No, I was born in Indiana. Oh, okay, okay. And mm-hmm. then uh, my parents divorced. 
and my father remar- got remarried and he married a lady who uh had a a corporate job with General Electric. Mm-hmm. So she moved uh, her her position was in Indianapolis then her 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 position moved to uh Louisville for a few years. Mm-hmm. So then I went with my father and lived in Louisville and then from Louisville they got relocated to Cleveland and then from Cleveland they got relocated to Connecticut. But I didn't move with them when they went to Connecticut cuz I was uh, in my late teens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, let me ask you this like um as a child of divorce um I you know I know that my parents were a lot more lenient with like what I could get away with, you know, like whether I was going to shows or even like, you know, they were trying to one up each other by buying me records and stuff like that. Um, did you kind of experience some of that? And like, maybe that helped pave your way uh, creatively? No. no, not really. Opposite. The opposite. <laughs> the opposite. Oh, but, wow. <laughs> but as far as shows and music was concerned, the opposite. But when they, when they got divorced, it was in the, in the, um, in like 77. Uh-huh. So, at that time, I wasn't really into music. I was into Star Wars. Well, I didn't know I was into Star Wars. I got like that first Star Wars box set um, before the movie came out for Christmas, where yeah. it was like some of the dolls were in there and some of them you had to wait for them to come in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I had these things for Christmas, but I didn't know what the hell they were. I just play with them thinking like Darth Vader was like a knight. You know, I didn't know what these guys were. And then yeah. in the summer, the movie came out and then I went to see the movie with my father and then I realized what the movie was about, but uh, he would spoil me with like Star Wars stuff. That would be like the thing that he would do to, uh, I think, you know, the guilty compensation of divorce, as you were mentioning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But by the time it got to music, that would be f- five years later or so. I was like 13 when I got into that kind of, you know, Motley Crue and uh, Dio and, and punk music. and. Uh, and uh and different stuff like that so they're uh they're very my parents both sides are very religious Mm -hmm. so they hated that you know Mm -hmm. and this was the time of satanic panic so they were like you know you're gonna burn in fucking hell listening to this shit and it was like fucking they locked me up for uh, listening to that kind of music and everything. It wasn't a welcome situation at all. It was a, the fact that, that Sam Hain played in the backyard was just a coincidence, but it wasn't like my parents in the church were like, yeah, yahoo, we fucking can't wait for old Glenn and the boys to come down. They were probably pissed as fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of uh, religion? Like, were, were they Catholic, Southern Baptist? Pentecostal. Pentecostal, oh, yeah, that's what oh, I thought. Wow. So they believe in, like, faith stuff, you know, like... Faith uh, healing and shit like that? Yeah, healing and, like, uh, you know, like serpents and stuff. They believe in this type of thing. So, um, but that, you know, that, that, that led a lot of... That led me to a lot of interesting uh, places in my life as well. So, I mean, at the time, I hated it because I was, like in the middle of, I was like in my own inquisition every day, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was a weird thing because I mean, really like my crimes against uh, their lifestyle was that I was into, into weird music and art, Mm -hmm. but they all, they already knew I was into stuff like into art and everything. And they encouraged it to a degree, you know, but when it become monsters and horror movies and things, and they think that they started thinking, uh, 
something is is amiss, something is wrong, mm-hmm. and that they should try to uh, beat it out of me or change it out of me and such. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's one of those weird things where at the time it was terrible. Mm-hmm. But now that I look back at it, it was, you know, like you said, formative. But at the same time, it was um, <clears throat> it was an interesting foundation to, to start from. Yeah. Especially with with uh, the way that my life turned out and everything. And uh, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it in a weird way, maybe yeah. in like, you know, like Stockholm syndrome or something. But yeah, but it was a. Uh, at the time it was terrible, but now that I look back, it was a uh, kind of a, a blessing. And even, even experiencing like uh, the way that the PMRC was, re- was uh, taking over uh, the way that music could be portrayed or sold and all of that stuff that made it to me, it made it more dangerous. It made it more interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. And, and I know Bernan has a zillion questions to ask you about uh, religion. So I'll let him, I'll let him uh, sink his teeth into you in a minute, but I, I do, I do want to shout out Tipper Gore for booming the, uh, the, the metal industry. Because yeah. I think so many people were just like, Oh my God, my parents hate this. I've got to hear it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like it's it we've discussed this a badge of honor, a badge of quality when you'd see it on a record like that. It was like this one is a parental advisory uh, recommended or whatever it was. That would be like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Definitely. I, I have I have a tremendous amount of identification with this shit. You know, like my parents are divorced. Fucking, they're both very religious. You know. Uh, one way more so than the other and uh you know the um the pmrc thing like in particular the parental advisory it seemed like that was almost like a mission statement of like my mother was to like kind of like eradicate or keep these things from my fucking life you know like religion to degrees but spirituality uh is like you know is tremendously important to me and uh, you know something that i've always really liked about the shit that you did especially like you know just like knowing a bit about your background is like you know you you come from this like you know you come from this religious family and then like so much of your early work is kind of like based around like kind of subverting a lot of that, you know, with a lot of like, you know, the process stuff and uh, then like, you know, the satanic stuff. Um, but it, like the way that you approached it is a lot less obvious than, you know, like, let's say like, you know, a Venom or like, you know, whatever kind of like satanic shock band, like you seemed like you, uh, like your interest for this dark side was bore like seemed just from the outside looking in, to be like born of like an understanding of like what the like quote unquote light was supposed to be and just how like fucked up that all really was. Like how did, um, like how did a Pentecostal upbringing, you know, kind of like lead you into extreme music and how did you use that as like a venue to like, kind of like further articulate yourself or just like, you know, or, or just like kind of like, turn thoughts into sounds 
I think what you're, you're saying a little bit is that my, my perspective comes from almost like uh, someone who turned witness protection against them. And I, I knew the inside uh, workings of it. And then I was able to expose it in a way through the lyrics. Exactly. And maybe that's true, you know, to, to some degree. But also there's a lot of parallels to, to the way that the church operates and the way that, uh, that music operates too, you know, and uh, how there's a guy in the front who's yelling maniacally and fanatically about something and the people are cheering him on <clears throat> creating this frenzy of mania. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time I didn't really see all these connections, but it seemed uh, comfortable to me and that I had already known how it, how it would be and, and you know how it was because I had already been indoctrinated into that type of thing. But at the same time, I was also, uh, you know, I was the, I was the witch being burned from, from my family's uh, point of view, but to be very fair about it. And, you know, uh, like what you were saying about your parents, when they saw that you were listening to these records and things, and they were thinking uh, bad that you were getting involved in bad stuff for, for them to be, you know, quote unquote, normal people. And then to see their child who they probably view as, you know, still a three-year-old, you know? Yeah. And totally. then they see you listening to something that might be uh, dangerous because the news has told them it's dangerous or the neighbors have told them it's dangerous or just the imagery itself, even, even as uh, benign as kiss looks dangerous to, to somebody's grandma. So, <clears throat> you know, now that I'm older, I can understand that. But at the time I didn't understand it. I just felt persecuted and, uh, and maybe I was persecuted too, as it's possible, but, uh, you know, it gave me a, a sense of, uh, a sense of energy, a sense of fuel, a sense of power to be, to be the, uh, the, uh, the enemy to be, to be, uh, in a situation where I was not like them. And I was doing my own thing and they were really upset about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand at the time why they were upset. Cause I just liked it, you know, but for them, I guess that they saw it maybe as I was getting myself into dangerous waters from their point of view. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, still to this day, I think that they have no idea how I've been able to make a living off of that type of thing for so long. And they're kind of, uh, dumbfounded by it, you know, Totally. But lately they're not so uh, critical about it. Last, last 20 years, maybe. <laughs> cool. Once, once they started seeing kids in the mall wearing shirts or hats or something that would be the skull logo or, or, or something like that. I remember like my father said that he was at the mall and he saw a kid wearing a, a hat, an integrity hat. Mm -hmm. And then he went up to him and told him that he was my father. And the kid said, yeah, right. And walked away. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, uh, <laughs> so, Amazing. You know, so I, I took that as maybe he was trying to say he was a little bit proud or something. I'm not sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they look at it nowadays. They, you know, they're they're old and they probably just gave up on it. You know, they know they can't change it. But, cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I answered the the question. Did no, I, I might have meandered? No, you I, like you did. Uh, you know, I guess like I guess um, you know uh, something that I always you know 
really liked about like what you did, you know, and just kind of like juxtaposing shit. You know, I think about when I initially kind of like got into, got into hardcore, um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little younger and, um, you know, the bands that I was like, you know, familiar with, like, especially kind of like coming off of like, um, you know, the, like the victory stuff or, uh, or like, you know, like, let's say like, you know, like, like face value, uh, or even like confront or any of that, you know, they were talking about like, you know, either like friendship or betrayal or, you know, like, you know, stuff that's relevant to a kid. Um, you like, you know, while you're still younger, like the thing that seems to be like relevant to you, um, and the thing that you were speaking about were like, you know, kind of like, you know, real, like, like spiritual and philosophical issues. Uh, and like, you know, like you put them out there, like, you know, in, like in your general, like, like in the, within the imagery, uh, you put it out. Like, I mean, the fact that like a hardcore band or like a metal band was like, you know, using kind of like Burroughs esque cut up type shit, uh, or like, you know, Kathy Acker kind of, kind of stuff. Like it was just, it, you know, I couldn't identify it as that at the time, but it was something that really kind of shifted my perspective on like what extreme music, like in particular hardcore, like could be or should be. It's like, yeah, I got nothing against fucking friendship and betrayal and fucking straight edge and like whatever. But like, you know, I want to hear about life and death. Yeah, like with Cut Up, I mean, there's a misconception of Cut Up is that uh, Jason and, and Burroughs invented Cut Up, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. It was actually Andre Breton and Tristan Zara that invented that. They were tearing up newspapers and just reading the words at a, at a Dada meeting. They were just reading out whatever words came out of these clippings that they cut out of the newspaper. Mm. And this was like, to me, this was the this was the point where punk punk music began because they just stood in front of a crowd and started reading these words out in front of the audience and the words juxtaposed in such a way that they created the people to to become angry and a riot broke out because of this so it'd be like kind of like a poetic spoken war spoken word using cut up technique and the people just got fucking crazy and started fighting mm. and I, I always looked at that as like that was the the moment where this kind of underground rebellious music for lack of, you know, that I don't think they had music accompaniment, but you know, vocally they, they were there and uh, people just broke out into a riot. Now, for some reason, I, I would like to attribute it maybe to Genesis uh, giving credit to, to Burroughs and Jason for, for creating cut up, but mm -hmm. it, it's not true actually. Yeah. That, 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 that would make sense that, uh, you know, that she kind of phrasing it that way would, because uh, yeah. I, I thought the same thing, you know. And nothing um, against Jan, you know, no. but also like there'll be other people who will say, hey, David Bowie invented it. Yeah, yeah. Because he's more, you know, he's more present in the, in, the, in the media for people, some people. A lot of people don't even know who Burroughs or especially Jason were mm -hmm. or Jen or, uh, you know, Tristan Zara and Andre Breton. Very few people probably know who those guys are either, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. And with that, like, what kind of came first for you? Like the a like, um, like like a kinship with like kind of like you know art and like you know kind of like 
subversive means of communication or like, you know, extreme music or are they all kind of like, like interspersed? I thought that they were all part of the same thing, mm-hmm. but also like we talked about uh, in our last conversation, I was a bit uh, naive and I thought that music was kind of all the same thing too. I mean, I knew that they had categories in the record store, mm-hmm. but I didn't really pay much attention to that. You know, I just sort of liked what I liked and I liked different stuff. You know, I could like Leonard Skinner and, and uh, Led Zeppelin and I could like Christian death and Bauhaus and I could like, uh, you know, metal and all kinds of different things. And I could like it all and legitimately enjoy it. Yeah. And some people couldn't, couldn't understand that they would get upset sometimes even. And, uh, you know, I love gospel music. I don't really like the way that they miss it. Like I like the passion of it, you know, like when music is passionate, mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I can feel this uplifting quality where I think that music can take you outside of your flesh prison and, and your soul escapes, whether it's, whether it's with, slayer lyrics or it's with uh, some gospel lyrics you still have that same kind of uh, emotional feeling where you 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 temporarily leave your body and you you don't have to feel the pain of this world anymore for just a split second you know totally. like with uh alan lomax yeah. he made those uh those field recordings of those guys down in, in the in the american south in prison and it's in the and it's in the stereotypical way where these these guys were uh wearing very warm wool fucking black and white striped pants and shirts you know like that's got to be fucking real uncomfortable in the in louisiana for example you know in the summer can you even imagine that and then going out and breaking rocks and these guys found a way to escape through music you know they'd break rocks and then they would sing as they would do the chain gang and that music to me is like that's the most amazing music i've ever heard in my life and whenever i hear it i i almost tear tear up in my eyes how how incredible that music is and you know a lot of times the lyrics that they're saying are uh, you know kind of a hokum stuff where and what that means is like um referencing sexual connotations but by using other words you know mm-hmm. rosy and and these kinds of things to 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 uh allude to a, a woman's uh private parts and different <laughs> things like this but they'd have to do that so they wouldn't get you know this wasn't uh the two live crew they couldn't be saying dirty words you know because they they would get they would get beat by the by the co by the warden and the the correctional officers so they would they would hide this in in, uh in metaphor and allegory and then they would sing these songs about when they were free and then they would be with women or when they were when they would be dead and they would leave this hellish earth and be free of the flesh and be with god if they were religious which many of them were and I think mm-hmm. that those those songs are just so incredible to me when I hear that. And that's one of the things I chase uh, with my music, not necessarily to have the same uh, messages these, these these people had, but the same um, vigor and the same passion that they had about what they right. were saying. I think that, that that brings a lot to 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 uh, creativity when you do that. And uh, for me, that's a really important thing. Yeah. 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 That, that it totally makes sense. It, 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 you know, it's it's interesting, like you know, kind of like talking about like the tra- like like the transcendental nature of music. Like, 
I, I, I know, I don't know how a lot of people uh, do this. I know many, many people do this and I'm just entirely speaking for myself here, but like, you know, for me, listening to music is like, it's never something passive. It's, it's always like an action. It's something that I'm, that I'm doing. It's something that I'm engaged with. Um, yeah. No matter, no, like no matter what it is, like, you know, for yeah. instance, like, you know, my partner and I, like we, we go to bed watching TV, like, you know, often, like, you know, many, many, many nights and it can be on any volume. The other night I was asleep. We'd gone to bed watching TV. She went and like, you know, after I'd been asleep for like an hour, like she put on uh, like the new uh, Katarina Barberi record. And it's like, you know, a like super, minimal spacious like real easy listen like totally appropriate for bedtime and i straight up like woke up and like could not get back to sleep because i i couldn't not pay attention to what was going on in the music and like let the music take me to this other place that was you know engaging my mind and my spirit you know um yeah. and wow. Like, you know, I, I like, again, like, yeah, it's just like speaking for me. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I personally feel like there is like nothing more like transformative and, uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's nothing more transformative and kind of like freeing that than, than music like it's like music and like prayer and meditation are kind of like the only ways that i know how to like disassociate yeah music is you know it's a portal and uh it takes you to places where you can experience other people's uh joy or misery and different things like that you can escape yourself for a while and, and live within someone else's uh, world it's totally a, it's a thing. yeah wow yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's interesting that you can't that you can't passively listen to anything ambient or anything like that. It's, um, I I would I would surmise that that's kind of the purpose of a lot of that music, right? I mean, like yeah. And also, you know, some people are, some people are, their nerves are a little more on the on their uh, on the outside. So uh -huh. maybe with Berdan, he because he's a musician and he's already in touch with music and his, his emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So he's already more, more or less has raw nerves when it comes to this type of thing. So he just okay. connects right into it, you know, just like in yeah. some kind of like a spiritual, like a meditative state where it takes a while where you first have to start practicing and you have to try and you have to get yourself into that, that way of, of, of being to, to be able to meditate. But then uh, somebody who's an old pro, they can just snap right into it. Mm -hmm, so probably yeah. for him, he just immediately slips into, into that mode with music. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. It, it, it really does kind of feel like that. And, you know, kind of Fred, like what we were saying about, uh, you know, about ambient music and this goes for like, you know, this goes for power electronics. This goes for, I think for extreme, like, like, you know, I think this goes for noise core. I think this goes for like, you know, very like, you know, extreme punk and metal too. A lot of the times things might seem like completely surface and pointless. Um, but I know like whenever I set out to like make any of these things, 
like there is absolutely like an intention and like there's like mm-hmm. an emotion that like I'm trying to convey and connect to. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like it's like, it, it's this constant like idea of, of exorcism and like with exorcism, it's like, you know, you're kind of like infecting somebody else. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So like, and obviously, and obviously I'm kind of, you know, you guys, you guys do this more than me, but, and, uh, but uh, you know, not that I do it at all, but you know, essentially like, I don't know, I guess that's, that's what's really interesting to me is because to me, like the point of ambient music and minimalism is to like, to, to, to have this kind of sea change and this kind of like change that is small and kind of unnoticeable in some, in some light. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and so I guess that's why that's interesting to me. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, whatever. But, yeah. but you know, Fred, you don't. Have to, you shouldn't sell yourself short just because you're not actually composing music. You're still part of the whole uh, dynamic of music creation. Absolutely. Well, well I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I definitely. Well, it's true. To my- uh, that's why you're here right now. That's why you do what you do. You know. I yeah. mean, you just chose to to articulate your interests and your creativity through a different channel, but it's still yeah. part of the same dynamic that, that the musicians are also doing. Yeah. 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 It really is all one ecosystem. Like if it was just fucking like musicians talking to each other and like for each other, like we would be in a really, but um, yeah, there'd be no fucking community. There'd be no fucking like, you know, no points to to anything it would just be like a bunch of people fucking like looking up their own asses like i think that <laughs> like i think i think what really what really matters is like and i think like in a lot of ways like the point of i mean the point of art there's no one fucking point of art you know but i think that the way music connects with people who aren't just fucking, you know, like measuring the size of their dicks, who are actually like, you know, are actually like taking something and consuming it and like identifying with like, with sounds and textures and like not necessarily fucking taking notes on every stupid thing. Um, And then like, you know, like, like, like I look at my fucking, uh, you know, my partner, right. Who like, you know, doesn't play music, uh, but like music is like the most important thing in her life. She's like an avid record collector. She works for like a record label uh, and she's got like the best taste out of anybody that, that I know. And if you were to ask her like, Oh, like, Hey, you know, like, like, like what makes this good or like what makes this suck? She'd just be like, it's either good or it sucks. Like I know it when I know it. And like, yeah, like you, it's yeah. like you can either bring that kind of honesty or not, you know? No, no, I, 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 I get what you guys are saying. I appreciate it. Um, and I think the, you're right. The, 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 the language that I'm able to, to use as someone who doesn't play, doesn't play anything, I think is, is, is the connective tissue between um, artists and audience. I agree with that. Um, but I think, um, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily, uh, that's kind of, I think, honestly, as honest as I can be, that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. And one of the reasons why I talk to guys like you is because I want to understand that other side of the fence. 
Yeah, you know but I think you're because... in tune. You're in tune with people who are making music. I think that you're in the same, on the same uh, team of it. You know, totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I. I, I it's you know it's uh, it's it's an interesting place to be. I think. I would love to see like you know like kind of like you know how you went from like Pentecostal to like you know to the process to kind of like where you're at now, which is like you know like like from being like you know just from like you know kind of like looking at your work currently and like talking to you like there's like like you know a a like love and kind of like acceptance for like you know for for your upbringing for like you know for for the kind of christianity that you uh that you experienced uh but also for you know for like you know all the paradoxes like uh, you know that that are apparent in like you know within like you know satanism like um like what what is the journey kind of been like well i think that um i was i grew up in, in an extreme religion mm-hmm. and then i got into extreme music so it kind of makes sense for me like that uh, at the time it didn't, but it does now looking back. And, you know, the Bible also has a lot of misconceptions because if you read the Bible, like a lot of people know the Bible, but they never read the Bible. Hmm. And the Bible is way more evil than black metal ever could imagine being. And I always found it strange that when you, when you see an interview with, with someone who's, uh, who, who's, vehemently against christianity but at the same time promotes themselves as evil and they say to them why do you why is it that you hate christianity or you hate the bible uh, they often say because it's evil and i always found that to be very strange you know mm-hmm. and uh when i was a child i also thought that way too but i saw it as evil because they were persecuting me and uh and I do think that the Bible has a lot of evil in it. In fact, I think that it's much more evil than than anything I've ever read in my life. And it's just uh, more or less a hopeless fucking book as well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of grew to like like the stories in that regard, because there's you know, there's the Sunday school version of the Bible where Jesus is helping people and all this stuff for children, little children. But then you get into like the the other stories where there's a lot of real just dem- demonic behavior be- behind these, these characters. And I, I really, uh, I really enjoy that. And uh, I find it, I, I'm not Christian because I think that the definition of Christian is to be Christ like, and I don't really mm-hmm. have that quality to me to, to, to such a degree, but, but you mentioned uh, the process church. And I'll try to touch touch on that a bit. So the Process Church, uh, the, do you want to know the history of it, or are you uh, just yeah, yeah I, you know for for the sake of uh, of our uh, of the people listening, like I think it would be cool to kind of you know, to kind of go go through it a bit. Okay, so I'll branch it back to what I would say is the start uh, of the genesis of what became the Process Church. Mm. So uh, Alistair Crowley had a uh, a student named Jack Parsons and Jack Parsons had a uh, chapter out in California that would be, that would teach 
Crowley's, uh, Crowley's ways. And one day, this science fiction author came to uh, came and met with Parsons. Parsons went to one of these like Comic Con type things and met him there. And he was a sci-fi writer named L. Ron Hubbard, and they became friends mainly because he saw Parsons, who also invented rocket fuel, by the way, uh, sustainable rocket fuel, but. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard saw Parsons as a uh, a person who was wealthy, who had beautiful women with him and who was free in a time, you know, in the 50s where people were not so free. And he gravitated towards uh, that because he wasn't doing so financially well and, and, and he wasn't doing so well with the ladies. And so uh, that was something very interesting to him. And he learned via uh, Parsons. Fr- and also through, from from Parsons learning from Crowley, how to to put together what became uh, Scientology. Yeah. So years mm-hmm. later, Scientology took off a bit, and in uh, in England, there was a couple of uh, a young couple. One guy, he was an architecture student named Robert Moore, and he uh, he he was going to these uh, Scientology meetings, and he met a, a lady named Mary Ann. And they became a couple and uh, they started their own faction of um, Scientology, which was the Process Church. Mm -hmm. So the Process Church, the basic of it is uh, four sides, uh, four archetypes, uh, Satan, Jehovah, Lucifer and uh, Christ. Everybody's pretty much everyone in America is pretty well familiar with those four characters. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that each of those four uh, archetypes represent a quality. And those qualities are supposed to represent what you stand for or what, what, what you what you are like as a person. You know, like you mm-hmm. probably met someone who's a little bit more of an aggressive, violent person. But then sometimes they can be also loving and friendly and sometimes playful and so on. So what they would do is kind of uh, have you look at that diagram of those four archetypes and you would say, how, what, what percentage would you say you are satanic uh, by, by, their, by their definition, not by, uh, by Geraldo's definition? Yeah. But um, <laughs> and, yeah. And what percentage are you, do you feel that you're Christ-like, and what percentage do you feel you're Luciferian, and, and what percentage do you feel you're Jehovian? For example, you know, Jehovian is like your grandpa who's who's uh, unhappy with the way you you've turned out. He's judgmental, you know. And anyways, so what they try to do is make it so you find an, a balance in that those four, and then in that mm-hmm. balance, you might be able to find a better way to live your life, but. There's another side of the process, which was called the 4P, 4P process, four archetypes, four parts of process. And that was something that was uh, part of it, but at the same, sort of an offshoot. It was sort of something that they didn't talk about. And what that does, that was was a a part of the process that recruited mostly ex-cons and criminal types. And they were the ones that set out to destroy human life. And there's a long story to all of that. But that's the part that's the most interesting to me. 
mm-hmm. is the uh, the destructive side of that. And they went they went out deliberately to try to you know so that milk cartons would appear when I was a child with photos on them and all this stuff. That's that's the responsibility of these guys, you know, and like. Uh, uh, Manson and Henry Lee Lucas, Otis Toole, uh, Berkowitz, all these guys, you know, that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a, a product of, of the four P and others that were never caught. And yeah. so that was the stuff that really interested me as well as when I was a child before the internet could, could, or Netflix could give me this kind of stuff. So that was something I would research because I was told I was part of by my family that I was going down this path. I was part of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So because I was part of these groups, but I wasn't so familiar with these groups. So I thought, well, I'm going to f- seek these groups out and try to find out what I can about them. Wow. And that's how I met some people like uh, Peter Sotos and, uh, and Boyd Rice and those guys was researching this mm-hmm. stuff. That's, it wasn't really the music that I, uh, that I met them from, but, but from the, uh controversial content that they that they were writing or or um documenting at the at the time in the in the late 80s yeah and early mm-hmm. 90s mm-hmm. and uh from from that and i learned a lot of strange things you know and also like there was a bookstore called uh, a muck books out in california that would have a lot of uh, interesting books that you could get and uh later on they tur- they they turned into feral books i, I, was, I was just gonna say like so adam parfrey yeah. adam parfrey was like the manager of of a muck mm-hmm. and then he kind of branched off on his own and did feral yeah i i know about all this stuff through through parfrey and through you know apocalypse culture and like in particular yeah. like you, you know like the stuff about like there's this guy who like you know I'll mention him later, but there's this guy who I don't really want to give airspace to who, uh, who, who wrote a piece in Apocalypse Culture about like basically being like the house band of the, uh, of the process. And it was very, you know, that, that was kind of like, you know, my, my intro to all this. And then, you know, uh, Parky also like, you know, did like a love sex fear death book uh, many years later, but there's like, you know, he put so much stuff out, uh, you know, regarding this. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, Pete Sotos, I had the, a very similar experience. I, and Boyd Rice too. Like I didn't know anything about their, their music. I, I knew about their, I like, I knew about the purazine and I knew about like, uh, you know, the, like the research stuff because of shit that Adam was putting out. It was only, much later that like i realized like oh you know these guys make music too you know uh but but so that so but i mean again like i'm i'm a little little younger to you so look like younger than you and like i was just like you know we kind of had like an like an analogous store to that in new york called uh called see here and i'd uh i'd pick that shit up here um but how like did you find out about this stuff like like through your parents like was it something that like your you know your parents were aware of and like straight up like you know told you like you know like i'm scared that you would fall in with like you know this particular group no they didn't say this particular group 
but mm-hmm. they were not familiar with any of those characters or the or process or any of that stuff. They just lumped it all in as satanic. Yeah, yeah. But when I said, you know, there was a thing in the 80s where you would get like these zines and in the back of the zines, you could like correspond with other people who were into different things, sort of like pen pal. Mm -hmm. And those people would connect you with like, that's how I got those pure uh, zines and stuff. Mm -hmm. I got that stuff when it came out. And uh, I was like, you know, this when I was a teenager, like I could watch like, uh, Pasolini Salo and be like, oh yeah, this is fun, you know? And uh now it, it has a different resonation to it. But totally. but when mm-hmm. I was a kid, it was like, oh yeah, this is some fun stuff. You know, I guess it was like listening to Cannibal Corpse, you know? Mm-hmm. But now I sort of mm-hmm. see some of this stuff as being a little bit more literate. So I take it with a little more um mm-hmm. more uh severity, you know. So I, I take it with a tread, I tread a little more lightly on some of that stuff a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was strange, you know, like even like reading those, those, uh, the pure zine and things, I was like, man, this guy's fucking crazy. What the fuck? You know, he got arrested for that too. First, and, first, first American, uh, to be prosecuted for that particular crime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so sure he he didn't deserve to get arrested, to be fair. But yeah. at the time, I was like thinking like, oh, freedom of speech. But, you know, he he he, he really pushed the envelope with yeah. some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. I mean, like, you know, I consider Pete to be like brilliant and like a, a, a good friend. But, uh, you know, I think he would be the first person to kind of admit that there that there is a line that exists and that like to cross that line means to be willing to accept the consequences for that yeah you know and yeah he's an example of that for sure that's something that i that, that i really like i love about him and i look like you know and it's something that i hear so fucking much today is like you know people kind of fucking getting up in arms, like bitching about like how, you know, cancel culture or woke cultures, like fucking like keeping them down and you can't make art anymore. It's like, fuck you. Yes, you can. There's just a fucking line. And like, yeah, actions have consequences. And like, like if you care this much about this shit then just fucking wear it, like do it. Uh, if not then yeah you'll live but that that's just me yeah i agree totally. yeah I, I i see that too i mean i don't think that you know it's a weird thing people want to be hating people because they have better tan than than you or or whatever that's fucking always been crazy to me yeah, so, I don't. I never really no. got that. I, there's enough reasons to hate people. You don't have to fucking look at their fucking tan. No, <laughs> there's so many yeah. fucking assholes on this world. It's fucking really easy to find somebody to hate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, it doesn't take their fucking language or what what geography line keeps them from your geography line to hate them. It's just. There's a lot of assholes. You just fucking hate people for being assholes. Uh, that 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 does me pretty good, you know. 
Yeah, totally, totally. I, I'm okay uh, with that. That's good for my hatred. I can just there's a lot of people who I think are are assholes. It don't matter what what they look like. They just are assholes. The way yeah. they act. Yeah, yeah you know? totally. One thing that I'm I, I'm I'm curious about um, with uh, you know just you being in like Belgium and all that. Um, how much interaction do you have like with you know like Amon Ra guys and all of that kind of thing? You know, like I know that's uh, they're from there, and there's there's a, they, there's so much of their aesthetic I think comes from like uh integrity well like the crossroads between integrity and neurosis in my opinion well, we're good friends uh, i'm good friends with colin and matthew oh, okay and uh, uh if you look at my um if you look at my instagram there's a photo of me at the hospital when my i broke my arm and colin is in the photo with me where uh, i have the scar he went he he insisted to go with me to my second uh point wow because he's into like uh <laughs> he's he's into med, yeah medical stuff yeah, you know so yeah. so we went there and it was right before the relapse did their album and i said man we should turn on my phone and do like an interview here <laughs> with me getting my fucking arm uh you know yeah. on and you're here and we talk about your record and shit man. and uh, we didn't do it though but you know we thought that the, the doctors might fucking throw us out Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Metal Matters. Make sure you like or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. To get the most recent episodes automatically delivered to your phone. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. Follow us on Twitter at Metal Matters Pod. And Instagram at Metal.Matters.Podcast. Wow!